One. Hello. In case you don't remember, I'm Pastor Bill. I used to preach here. <laughs> Billy's been doing a tremendous job, has brought us some great, uh, great messages and some great truth and deep understanding. And I appreciate the way God is blessing him and using him. And I appreciate how receptive you've been to the things that God is doing among us. I announced a topic for this morning that I thought and rethought and considered and reconsidered. I mean, after I announced it, I did all that. Our mysterious God. God is only as mysterious as you allow him to be. Only as mysterious as you permit by your lack of understanding and spiritual discernment. God does not want to be a foreign entity that we do not know and do not understand and have to wonder if the next thing he's going to do will be doomsday. He does not want that. But it is true because the Bible says it again and again, that there is a certain mystery of godliness. There's a certain mystery about the gospel. And I want to share with you this morning what I understand from the scriptures that to be and what it means to us. And so look in your Bible with me, please, at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 whatever kind of Bible you're carrying, if it's one that has pages that turn, or it's one that you just flip from place to place, and it's all on the same page, just changes. As long as it's the Bible, it doesn't matter, because it is God's Word, and it is God's Word that is our guide, and it's God's Word that is our map to the kingdom. This is what 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says. Great is the mystery of godliness. And then he goes on to explain what that mystery is. And the way he puts it after that with a colon and then this, this description that describes the mystery, it becomes rather simple. This is the mystery of godliness, Paul says, that God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, came to this world with a specific purpose, to die as the atonement for sins. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. What's complicated about that? It isn't a mystery. But Paul says this mystery that the world sees as incomprehensible is a simple message of faith and truth. If we see it and understand it and believe it, the mystery dissolves because God has given us the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit to understand it. But the difference is this. The world sees it as a mystery because they do not comprehend it. They do not understand it. 
And therefore, because it doesn't meet the standard of the rational mind and human thinking, they reject it. You find this message throughout the Scripture. Paul wrote it to the Ephesians. He wrote it to the Colossians. Specifically, he wrote it to the Corinthians. He said, the world does not receive this message of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. They see it as a mystery, a mystery unexplainable, a mystery indecipherable, a mystery inconceivable. This cannot be because it doesn't match human rationality. But God says it is true. God's Word says this is what we believe, and in believing this we have salvation. Paul wrote it to the Corinthians this way. He said the preaching of the cross, the very preaching of this message of the cross, the preaching of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. And it is. For me to stand up here and declare that one man died for the sins of all the world and that everybody in the world can be saved because of the sacrifice of that one person, that one eternal son of God, that one eternal son of man, that the world can be saved through that. That's, that's foolishness to the world. To those the preaching of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But unto us who are saved, us who believe, it is the power of God. Hallelujah. The mystery solved. It's solved. It's just that simple. Jesus said to his disciples, Mark chapter 4, verse 11, and he said unto them, Unto you is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. You get to know it. You get to hear it and understand it and receive it. It's not, he goes on to say, but not unto those who are without, those who are not among us, those who are not believers. They don't understand in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, he said, He, God, has made known unto us the mystery of His will. How about that? He's allowed us to know, to understand the mystery of His perfect will. What is that will that we understand? What I've already said, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. And because of that, Christ in us is the hope of glory. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. He says, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations. Ages past. Generations past. Had this great message hidden from them. It was revealed only in types and symbols and representations. It was hidden from them. But now, in this day, in this day of the Bible, in this day of the revelation of God's Word, in the understanding of what God speaks to mankind to bring mankind to Him, but now it is made manifest to His saints. That mystery is manifest to his saints because we know it, we understand it, and we know it and understand it because we believe it. You don't believe it, you're left out. You believe it, it is the truth of God. You settle on it and believe it. Those who come to God 
Hebrews says, must believe that he is, that he's really God, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You don't believe that, you don't receive it. But if you believe it, you do receive it. The mystery is solved when you believe the word of God by faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so Ephesians chapter 3. I, I, I counsel you to read Ephesians chapter 3 if you want to know more about what I'm preaching right now. Ephesians chapter 3 mentions three times in that chapter this mystery. And every time it goes on to explain it and fulfill it. And says that the spiritual mind, the spiritual man, the spiritual person will grasp it and receive it. I recommend you read that chapter. I can't deal with all of it right now. But I can tell you it's a great thing for you to know. And so in all of this matter of mystery, there's still some things that I, I, I would say are, I don't want to say incomprehensible, that are difficult to grasp because they are against the nature and the direction of everything else. God says. Let me give you just an example. God says that He will forgive every sin. He will forgive sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter who you've hurt, who you've harmed. If you come to God in repentance and in godly sorrow cry out that you want to turn away from your sin, you believe Jesus Christ is your Savior, guess what? There's no question about it. He will save you. Now, I will tell you, there's some people I wish God would just leave alone. Some people don't deserve to be saved. They're so dadgum mean. I'm excuse me. They're just so mean, <laughs> so hateful, so bad, so law-breaking. They ought not to be saved. But then when you get right down to it, that's every one of us, isn't it? That's you and me. I just described you and me. But God will save. God will save the murderer. Yeah, God will save the rapist. I wish I didn't have to say some of these things. And nevertheless, I know it's true. Don't you? I know it's true. But how do I know? Not I've ever been to any of those. I know it's true, though, because God's Word says it. In fact, He says there's only one sin, one sin in all the plethora of sins of the world. There's only one sin that He will not forgive. Only one sin is unforgivable. That's why it's so, it's so different. It goes against the grain of everything else the Word teaches. And yet Jesus is the one who said it. This is what He said. Mark chapter 3, verse 29. He said, Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. It's the only sin I see described in the Bible that God will not forgive. Everything else I can think of, everything else I've ever imagined, everything else I've ever read about, 
I've never found one that there was any reason to think God would not forgive that sin. And the only reason I would think this is because Jesus said he would. Read it again. Jesus said, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. I used to have people come to me. This hadn't happened in a long time. I don't know why. Maybe the enemy takes certain things at certain times that he tries to torment people with and takes a leaf from it and comes back with it again later on. I don't know all about how he works. I just know he's a devil and a liar and a deceiver. But I used to have people come to me all along and say, Pastor, I'm praying I just can't get through. I'm afraid I've committed the unpardonable sin. And I'm afraid I've just committed that unpardonable sin. I can't ever be forgiven. I said, well, what have you done? Well, I don't know, but I think it must be that. How foolish is that? <laughs> but I, I've explained this in years past. I've explained this. I could not tell you how many times. You will, first of all, never be guilty of that without knowing it. And this is what happens. Let me tell you first, describing clear terms. Jesus says that is attributing the works of the Holy Spirit, the manifest power of the Holy Spirit in the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. That is attributing all of that to the devil, giving the devil credit or blame, in the case of the devil, for what the Holy Spirit does. And when people stand up and proclaim that, I don't even mean just think it. I don't mean just say it one time. But people make a, a lifetime of proclaiming that. That this is this whole message of salvation by the blood is demonic. It's from the devil. And there are people who've declared it and said it, many who have. You go on the internet right now, I don't know how valid it all is, I'm not saying anything except it's there. There are people that say the most outrageous things against Jesus Christ. And it isn't just against Jesus. It's against the work that the Holy Spirit has done. So Jesus himself called it blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So it is attributing, giving the work of the Holy Spirit in the manifestation of Jesus Christ himself, his salvation message, his glory, his miracles, all of that, giving that over to the devil. And praising the devil, honoring the devil, say, this is of the devil. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, if somebody does that, he may not be aware that it's an unforgivable sin. But there comes a time, this part, I cannot give you a scripture verse that tells you exactly like this. But by my observation over many years, if I've ever seen anyone who does that, it's because they, over a period of time, within themselves, they may not even proclaim it, within themselves, they just... They may sit and hear the gospel over and over and over, but don't believe it. And the more they hear it, not the more they believe, but the less they believe. And the less they believe, the more they attribute it to the work of the devil. Maybe without even saying it. And what happens is they get further and further away from him, colder and colder, harder and harder about the things of God, so that it, the Holy Spirit finally stops working with them. And keep this in mind now. Jesus said, no man. Nobody anywhere, nobody can come to me unless the Spirit draws him. So, I can't go much beyond that, but, but I'm not sounding a warning here because I think anybody here is on the precipice of being guilty of this. 
I'm telling you this just as an explanation. There's some things, every now and then you get this whole message of forgiveness and pardon, salvation, and then there's one thing that comes up. This is the one exception. There was one exception in the Garden of Eden. You can eat of the trees all about. You have all the fruit, everything here. The benefit and blessing of all the Garden of Eden, except for the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. You cannot partake of that. One thing prohibited. And that's what Adam and Eve jumped on to do. Notice I said Adam and Eve. I said Adam first, just for the benefit of you ladies. <laughs> so there's always there's something. That's, so the, the, uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and unforgivable sin. You're sitting here worshiping the Lord. Just that in itself. If you're worshiping the Lord, you're in your heart right now. You're, you're thinking of the, what I'm saying is true. This message that you've heard today in song, you know it's true. We've prayed you in court. But you, you're not in the category of anything I'm talking about. But it's something that we need to know about and something we might be able to share with somebody else in a certain occasion in their lives. I want you to know that. But here's the, you know, there's a poem that describes it adequately to me. There is a time we know not when, a point we know not where, that marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. There's a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. That is there. I do not even remotely suggest that you or I, any of us, is ready to, about ready to cross over that line. Because I want you to know that if that were to be the case, the Holy Spirit would reveal that to you and give you a last opportunity for sure to make everything right with God. Amen. Praise the Lord. So that's, a, that's, that, that's just, that's another part of the mystery. The reason I brought this in is because it's a part of the mystery. I want to talk to you about another Mystery that's a part of life that, that uh, will help us, I believe, to know about. And that's the mystery of suicide. I, I doubt that any single one of us, nor in all of our collective wisdom together, I would seriously doubt that any of us completely understand that. I will, I will admit to you, it is certainly not something that I understand. In all of the Bible, I find only six incidents recorded of men taking their own lives. All but one are in the Old Testament. Judas is the only one in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there are five others. All of them are described in the Scripture as wicked, evil, sinful men. Except, of course, the, the I would say the... Uh, the armor bearer of Saul, King Saul of Israel, who took his life in deference to Saul. Nothing's ever said about his character. But of the others whose character is described, it's described as wicked and evil and sinful. So, so, so the Bible is, is relatively short on experiences of suicide. But we are not short on it in our, in, in our society today. It is a serious, serious problem in our world today, especially with younger people. You wouldn't think that. Recently, two suicides of well-known people in the celebrity realm 
were in the papers, splashed over the papers, one man and one woman, one a fashion designer of great success, and the other one a great chef and well-known uh, uh, gourmet. And nobody understands why either one of them took such a drastic action. So, so it, but what we do know is it is a serious problem. It, it is an issue in our society that we need to look at and to address. This is what I discovered as I looked at the record of suicide. It's the second leading cause of death for ages 10 through 14. A person is 10 years old to the time he's 24. Suicide is the second leading cause of death. Imagine that. It's the second leading cause of death for college-age youth up through 18. More teenagers and young adults die from suicide than die from cancer, heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, stroke, pneumonia, influenza, chronic lung disease. All of those diseases combined do not to account for as many deaths as suicide in this country. Each day in our nation, there are an average of over 3,041 attempts by young people in grades 9 through 12 who attempt suicide. Now, that's shockingly amazing that that's the case. So there must be a great deal of suffering. There must be a great deal of suffering, a great deal of agony, a great deal of inner turmoil going on with a lot of people that may not be apparent to those of us who know them, and some of us know them well. And I, I address this today because, of, because some of you, and, and many of you who I wouldn't know, some of you had this in your family, maybe in some extended part of your family, maybe recently, maybe years ago, that you're still struggling with. You know, even, even among close friends, you may have had it in their families, and, and it's broken your heart because of it. I, I'll read something in the paper about a, so a young person, likes, and, and I sit there and pray for the family of that. I know... I don't know that I know it from personal experience, but I know there has to be in the, in the hearts, in the spirit of mothers and fathers and, and brothers and sisters who lose someone that way, there has to be the greatest of agony within going through all of that. And so I sound the word today that Jesus Christ is the answer even in the direst circumstances of your life, even in the deepest level of depression, even in the depth of emotional distress, when it seems there is no answer and no way out and nothing is worth going on to the next day for, that has to be a horrible place to be. But I want to tell you that Jesus, Jesus, when you turn to him, and give him the great opportunity that he asked for in your life to become your friend and savior, or your savior and then friend. He wants to ransom you and bring you out. You have to stop. Share this with anybody that you can. Tell it to those that may be finding a need. You may know someone right now that you need to go and tell this about today. Or there may be someone sitting right here in this congregation right now 
who needs to hear exactly what I'm going to say. The greatest gift that God has ever given you is life. Your life. God has given you life. Breath. The breath of life. The breath of God. Your breath is the breath of God. And then to redeem that life. (coughs) He has given you Jesus Christ as his unspeakable gift for you. That's why the Bible says you are not your own. You don't have the right to take the greatest gift God gave you and throw it away. You don't even belong to yourself. Come to grips with this understanding. You are not your own. You are God's. Because the Bible says you are bought with a price. The precious blood of Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Give God a chance. Give God the real chance in your life that he's looking for. Go tell your niece or nephew. Go tell your brother or sister. Go tell the person that you know. You may not know what their plans are, and you may not know what they're contemplating, but you know they're in the depths of despair. Go tell them. This is the answer. Jesus Christ and his salvation is the answer for us all and for all things. Now, what about people who've already committed suicide? There are people who who have been born again. I will not say they're not born again. They were born again. They're still born again. Who have taken their lives. And I have to believe. I, I have never in all of my experience I've had a funeral for a lot of unsaved people. I've had a lot of different kinds of funerals. I've never had the funeral for a person who committed suicide. But if I did, it's something like this that I would say. And this person has been a believer in his lifetime. And comes to the, there has to be a mental distress that is so deep, you and I, unless we've been there, cannot understand it. We cannot grasp it. Even by somebody else who may have shared that deep, agonizing pain with us, it's hard for us to get that understanding. We haven't been there. But I know that God understands that. And if somebody, if somebody in that condition, somebody who was saved, whatever's happened in their fellowship with the Lord, they come to the Last second of life. I can't prove this. I'm going to tell you why I believe it, but I can't prove it. In that last second of life, they've ever heard the gospel. They've ever heard the name of Jesus. Doesn't God give them in that last split second a chance to say, Jesus, oh, Jesus, help me. Just in their mind, Jesus, help me. Well, if they do, what does he do? I believe he saves them. I believe he saves anybody who in a so desperate condition that they cannot grasp the reason to go on. And they're caught in the throes that the enemy has put upon them. The mercy of God extends to that. I look at the dying thief on the cross beside Jesus. 
And while his other friend was railing on Jesus and castigating him, he joined in it to begin with. And then something happened within him. He was right at the last time, the last breaths of his life. And he said, Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And instantly, without a hesitation, with one of the last breaths that Jesus took, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. I know that God is a great loving God whose love extends beyond anything we understand. We do not, you and I, as well as we know, as well as we know the Lord, as well as we know God loves us and praise Him for it, as well as we're sure and confident if we were to die, this second would go to heaven. I believe that right now with all my heart. If I have a heart attack in the next 30 seconds, you say He's in heaven. He decided to leave church early. on to heaven. I'm as confident as I, of that as I am that I'm standing. And you are too. But even with all of that, God's love is so great, I find it difficult to comprehend it. I just told you earlier in this message, all the people that God will save, if, if I were God, those people wouldn't have a chance. But I'm not. He is. As God's love is so great, it's beyond all that I've known about it. All of these years is still greater than I can even believe. And it's, it, it, the love of God, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. There are those who say, well, deathbed conversions don't mean anything. Oh, my friend, if you were on the other side of the river and saw those people who at the last second of their lives let Jesus come in and, and made it across, they're rejoicing because they maybe they barely made it, but they did make it. And you might not want to welcome them, but the angels will. So the love of God, the love of God, the mercy of God is beyond anything that we can ever, ever fully realize. The songwriter said it so well. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. And then, listen to what the poet wrote. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies a parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints, the angels. God's love goes further than we can go, deeper than we can understand, and more redemptive than we will ever be able to explain.
I'm not saying any of this to say that anybody, that, that when, if somebody's going to consider suicide, they should even think in those terms. Let God help you now and bring you out now. Because you can have the love of God. You don't have to be in the direst last seconds of desperation of life. You can have the love of God anytime you reach out to embrace Him and let Him receive you. And somehow, Holy Spirit, I pray that this message, God, I feel that I feel so strongly on my heart this morning. I pray that this message will go to the comfort of hearts here today, that it will enlighten us to the level that you want us to have understanding, and that it will encourage us, Lord, in those things that we have dwelt with in sorrow and sat in darkness, wondering with fear, let us put our trust in you, Lord God. Because you are the light, Lord Jesus. You are the light.